0: Last week, Zach was in the book of Acts, and he talked about Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And uh, I really love the book of Acts. I love that it's um, a document from the earliest time of uh, the of Christianity, and it offers us a narrative about the church's beginnings, and it develops the idea of the church as a historical entity with its own distinctive era. And so I really love the book of Acts. It was written around um, 80 to 85, so I'm just going to send a couple minutes just kind of highlighting a couple little things about Acts that you should, you should know that are really, really fun and really, really important. So the Apostle Luke covers the ascension. He covers Pentecost and this is really for me a finding Jesus moment when Luke kind of covers the whole Pentecost experience because Jesus in chapter 1 said I'm going to send you the comfort, I'm going to send you power to be my witnesses and that was the fulfillment of Jesus' words. I love that there's speeches to believers, there's uh, evangelistic speeches, there's apologetic speeches and there's really, really, really long speeches. In one of the uh, uh, chapter of Acts it records Paul in one of the cities, I don't have the note there and he was preaching all night, all the way to midnight, and a young man named Eutychus fell right out to sleep and right out a third-story window and was found dead. And Paul said, don't, ran down, picked him up in his arms and said, don't be alarmed, he's alive. And then Paul went back up, continued teaching, and then broke bread. So I was telling the early morning service that we don't have long services by any means. Paul must have had a lot to say. I love that Acts records the missionary journeys of Paul and I love that we can trace many of the epistles to the Acts of the Apostles. If you look, you can find where uh, what chapter he, in Acts, that he spent in Ephesus and Corinth and everything else so they all correlate and they all correspond. I love that we get to see um, encounters with demonic powers. We get to see salvations and baptisms of Gentiles. We get to hear about Peter's vision and how it kind of shook his world and we get to hear about the Gentile conversion. We get to see see about Paul or Peter being called up in the carpet and having to explain himself to the um, council. We see supernatural prison breaks, miracles, the church beginning to organize itself. We see the first church council in history in Acts chapter 15, and we get to see glimpses of how the gospel impacted culture and how the gospel impacted a very pagan culture. It says when Paul was in Ephesus, the sorcerers brought their parchments, and it says they burned them, it says the amount of the burning or the cost of the burning was something like 50 thousand silver drachma and so silver drachma fifty thousand is one man's wages for 137 years or tens man's wages for 14 years and so they were heavily Really impacted by the gospel. I love that Luke is so gracious and so good and not afraid to include in the um, Acts of the Apostles some genuine personality conflicts, disputes, and reconciliations. We have Paul and Barnabas uh, had a dispute where, you know, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him, and Paul said, No way, he's too. too young and too afraid. We have Paul literally confronts Peter in a group of, in front of a group of people. Uh, we have uh, them trying to explain what's happening with the Gentiles. We have the council to, to deal with the Gentiles. And I love that that's so honest. And I love that, you know, um, we can see reconciliation take place as well. Um, and I think about it and like, who writes about the characters in a negative light? Amen. So you know that they're not trying to pull the wool over eyes because they're disclosing and showing uh, personality conflicts and disputes that happen within the church. And for me, one of the most impressive um, uh, characteristics of the book of Acts is the complete unity of the apostles and their complete dependence on the Holy Spirit to work out any conflict or to work out any situation. And for me, that's another Jesus moment because Jesus said in John 15 and John 16, it says... Um, I will send the Comforter to you. He will lead you and guide you into all truth, and he will disclose to you everything that I say. And I love that the church was birthed with a Holy Spirit movement, that they resolved things, leaning and listening to the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. So good to have people closer to me. The first service, I thought maybe a B.O. or something. they were all far away. <laughs> Anyways, so ultimately, when we think about Acts, we see the hand of God directing the course of Christian history. It's our Christian history. Like, think about it. The book of Acts is our history. Th- that belongs to you and I. That's our beginnings. That's our history. That's so exciting. And that it's recorded for our benefit is, yeah, to me, it's great. But anyways, this week, we're reading through Acts. And I have to admit, I, you know when I first started re- reading Acts, it's like walking into an awkward conversation. So I don't know, like the odd time our staff will walk in, like Kelly will walk into the office and Carl and I are having a a dispute. (laughs) And so we're having, and then all of a sudden Kelly walks in and goes, huh. and she can feel the air in the room and she can see the look in our faces like, like a cow at a new gate. Oh my gosh, somebody just walked in. I really don't like you right now. How do we be nice and deal with this? And then Kelly would just... That's how I feel when I read Corinthians. I feel like I am encroaching upon um, a father instructing his children on right behavior, and so it's it's kind of an awkward read for me sometimes. So what about Corinth? Corinth was a city-state. It was about 40 miles west of Athens. It was a wealthy seaport city, and its economy was based on trade and commercialized pleasure. I won't tell you what that means. The Romans rebuilt the city in 44 BC, and it was made the provincial capital of Greece. Its population, they say, grew from anywhere between 100,000 and 700,000 people. And like other cities, Corinth at that time was had a a huge variety of religions. They worshipped the traditional gods and goddesses of the Greeks and the Romans. They had local deities, heroes, divinities from the Far East, like Isis, And in Rome specifically, and in Roman culture, they had a huge thing called the imperial cult, where the emperors and their family were venerated among the people. So Christianity could have seemed a very subversive religion to them at the time. The city had developed an unapologetic. For, um, love for things and for pleasure. So they had an unapologetic love for materialism and hedonism. And so they really acquired for themselves a little bit of a reputation for sexual promiscuity and they're best known today for the image that we see in Corinthians. Actually, um, you know, their poets would say, oh, you've Carinthi- you've been Corinthized. I don't even know if I could say that right. But they were really considered a bad group of people and, and in a Roman culture, there was times that some of the um, Roman emperors really wanted to see some family values reintroduced into the culture, but the Corinthians are just crazy town. Anyways, before I talk about the Corinthian church, I just want to kind of give you an idea of Paul's interaction with them. And scholars tell us that there may have been four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, but we only have two, okay? So Paul's first encounter with them, he brought them the gospel. Paul went to the Corinthian church after... um, After being kicked out and ran out of Thessalonica, and after having a really bad um, episode or a really bad experience in Athens, he tried to wax philosophical, and he was laughed out of Athens, and there was hardly any converts there. So when he went to Corinth, he was very humble and just said, all I know is Jesus Christ crucified, uh, buried, and resurrected, and that's it. And so he wasn't trying to wax. And he established that church in signs and wonders and miracles. They had a genuine encounter with the power of God. So Paul spent about a year and a half of his life with the Corinthian church and when he felt he had done what he needed to do, he left the church in charge of other people, left the city and continued on his journey. It was about a year and a half later that Paul had received a letter from the Corinthian church. Uh, we don't have this letter, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul said, the things that I wrote to you in my letter. So we know that Paul had another letter before 1 Corinthians, and he wrote in response to the news that the church was struggling spiritually. So the Corinthians responded to um, Paul with a a letter of their own, and it was filled with um, a desire for clarification on a great many issues about life and theology. And so what the questions did was they revealed some deep-seated confusion and problems for the Corinthian church. If you read through Corinthians, especially Corinthians 1, you're going to see the phrase now about now about, now about. So you can see that Paul is responding to a letter and to questions and clarification from the Corinthian church. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and he'd hoped to go back and help the struggling church, but his plans got um, derailed. So he sent Timothy and Timothy reported back to Paul that it's a very bad situation. And so Paul immediately put everything aside and traveled to Corinth. But his direct confrontation with the uh, Corinthian church was not good. It was—he says that it was a bitter and painful visit in Second Corinthians two one. He says it was so painful and it caused him much sorrow. The church had rejected Paul. Um, they chose to follow other people. They treated him with disrespect and ridiculed him. Where's my Bible? They say things like he is—he is weak. No, he is strong in his letters but his speech is weak and contemptible. So just to be clear, Paul founded this church. Those were his children. Like, he might not be an apostle, he said to everyone, but I am an apostle to you. I am your father. You are the letter written on my heart. And so to be rejected by his children, to be ridiculed and humiliated, had to have been heartbreaking. And so Paul did not stay long in Corinth. He left very quickly and just brokenhearted and painful. And so um, his opponent said, you know, see, he's undecisive, he, and he lacks love for you, which is totally not the case for Paul. Paul, Unfortunately, Paul gets a bad rap in the Bible, but Paul loves, like he loved big, and he loved hard, and he loved strong. Amen? So therefore, Paul wrote the third letter, which is our Second Corinthians. And um, he wrote it to the, uh, to the Corinthians. Titus took the letter. Paul remained at Ephesus where he had a really big... He had a huge opposition to the gospel, and eventually Titus brought news back that the church is doing well. However, they still had a struggle with some false prophets. Who false, See, I did it again. False prophets. <laughs> that was a new word, false prophets. I was meant to say apostles and prophets, but a prophet. Okay. <laughs> Didn't catch that. So there were still false prophets. Oh there's still false apostles undermining the ministry of Paul and ridiculing him. And so um I don't know about you but that would be really painful as a father in in the church and and one you know Paul says um in 2 Corinthians he said I'll come to you I'll expend I'll spend everything I have. I'll spend all of me cuz I want to I want to be with you. And then he says this really poignant statement says, if I love you more, will you love me less? And so Paul loved these people undeniably and with great, great passion. So when you read uh, Corinthians, it's kind of an interesting book written in a pagan culture, of course, or in that context. And so, you know, you have to have a little bit of discernment if you're a brand new Christian reading uh, the Bible. And so I would lock myself in my bedroom and read my Bible. And when I was reading Corinthians, I went, oh gosh, this is crazy. How do I know if I'm eating meats that are offered to idols? <laughs> you know, um, uh, can I pray or can I prophesy? Do I need a veil or not a veil? Like, you know, it's very, very confusing. And then all the questions about marriage and, and what about the women be silent? What am I supposed to do with that? That's going to be a really hard one for me. And so, and then I thought about, um, Paul said, I wish that you were all like me and single and celibate. I, went, I can do that. So, and I was a young Christian at the time. I thought, well, I'm going to be single. I'm going to be like Paul, have the gift of singleness, and I'm going to go travel the world and be a missionary. And well, you see how that worked out. And so I was telling the earlier congregation, uh, it was a really funny thing. Um, when we were at Bible school, I did a course called Spiritual Gifts. So I, I finished the course and, and I ran home to Carl and said, Carl, you'll never guess what happened. You'll never guess what gift I have. I have the gift of singleness. And he says, Too late. Anyways, so you have to have some discernment when you're reading the Bible, you know? You actually have to, you know, figure out what's going on. And, and, not, and so the temptation and the difficulty of uh, Corinthians is that you could try and contextualize it in our culture and apply everything that was happening there into our culture. And that's not always the wisest thing to do, or I might not have been married for 36 years with two children. Amen? So Paul's letters, Paul was a prolific writer. The average ancient letter was 87 words long. However, Paul's letters, the average letter was 2,495 words long, and often Paul covered a variety of things, um, and he usually provided complex argumentation, so Paul would state something, and then he would argue it and prove it, so he was a, br- you know, they say he wasn't a great speaker, but he sure was a good writer, amen, and we're proof of that. And so uh, he was a great writer. We know about Corinthians because it's often quoted in church. It's You know, you have the love chapter quoted all the time at weddings. We quote Corinthians when we approach communion. We approach uh, Corinthians when we talk about the bodily resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus. So Corinthians is a pretty popular book. But unlike some of the books Corinthians is met as an occasional letter. So Ephesians was meant as a circular letter. It was a letter that was to be circulated to all the churches. But when you read Corinthians, it was a specific letter. It was an occasional letter and it doesn't mean that it's sporadic or infrequent. Rather, it means it was written on a specific occasion with a specific intent to deal with specific problems. You think about Philemon, uh, it was dealing with uh, the slave Onesimus. And so Galatians was an occasional letter because they were dealing with uh, people who'd come in and, and uh, try to get them to go back into works and into the law. And it's the same thing with Corinthians. It's an occasional letter to deal with some specific issues of the nowabouts that they wrote to Paul about. Amen? Amen. Y'all still there? All right. I have to say, you know, kudos to Pastor Carl and Zach when they preach two sermons and 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 yell and scream through worship. It's like, whoa, my back's a little bit sore. <laughs> so what was a Corinthian problem, what was so problematic? What was it that caused so much pain for Paul? It says the church is a mixed congregation of converts, of Jews, Gentiles, in a cosmopolitan city. In short, the Corinthian church had uh, crisscross significant differences. It was uh, pagan, Jew, Gentile. There were poor converts There were rich converts. There were wealthy people, um, uh, people with great status in the community and there was always those complicated dynamics surrounding sexual activity. They were married, unmarried men, women, children, old, young, rich, poor, slave, free, educated, uneducated, Jew, Gentile, pagan, God-fearer, and idol-worshipper. That's who came to the church. That's who got converted. They were synagogue leaders, civil leaders, people who worked with their hands, and it was by no means or no stretch of the imagination. It was not a homogeneous congregation. Further, the Corinthian community... In itself, contravened all the normative social behaviors of that day. And unfortunately, they brought with them their own personal biases and suspicion and hostility and misunderstanding regarding the people that this community was comprised of. So, in short, the Corinthian church was a hot mess. It was a hot mess. And so I've kind of got like 20 things that I found throughout Corinthians that Paul had to deal with, but he had to deal with, um, the first thing he had to deal with right off the hop is factions and partisanship. And so uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll hear Paul say rhetorically and with a lot of sarcasm, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, or I follow Christ. And then it goes, is Christ divided? And so Paul was addressing the division and the partisanship that happened in the community. He had different people coming together, wealthy, smart, intellectual um, people from the community coming in and messing with the, the good flow that had happened early on. And so, um, you know, I think about this, and it still happens in the church. You know, um, I'm of the grace movement. I'm a part of the revival movement. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Protestant. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm an apostolic. I'm, you know, it happens all the time. And for me, that's a party spirit. I remember when I first read party spirit, I went, oh, what's a party spirit? (laughs) They had parties? Anyways. And so Paul is really attacking this issue because it will derail the church. This factional partisan attitude will derail the church. And tribalism for me is not a new phenomenon. And it is a work of the devil. It's a scourge of our culture today. And it's a scourge of Christianity. So Paul had to deal with incest. They had a man having sex with his stepmom. That had to be uncomfortable. Dealing with that, they had prostitution problems, men having sex with the temple prostitutes, which was a normative behavior for people in a pagan culture, and Corinthian being the capital and pleasure center of the, that known world at the time. They had questions regarding marriage, especially due to the fact that they thought Jesus was coming back real soon, so maybe we shouldn't get married. And they had uh, questions around marriage with um, asking about divorce. And Well, if God's coming back, should I divorce my husband? Or Christian people living with pagan men saying, should I divorce my partner or my husband? And so there was a lot of confusion surrounding marriage and remarriage. Paul had to deal with the uh, Corinthians... Uh, bringing lawsuits against one another, idolatry, they had to deal with the role of women who pray, who prophesy to veil or to not to veil. Um, you have inequality in the communal meal. You had communion taking place. You had the rich people bringing their, their big spread of food and the poor people having hardly anything to eat. So you had income equality. You had chaos and worship, people speaking in tongues and prophesying over one another and a whole sense of competition and arrogance. You had... Um, you had people believing that while well, we've got we, Paul said that we lack no spiritual gifts so you know I speak in tongues I prophesy I have visions and dreams and, and so there was a little bit of arrogance in their attitude and yet they lacked something very very important there was elitism there was a denial of the bodily resurrection of Jesus and Paul says he spent a whole chapter giving proofs about the resurrection and then he said if Christ be not raised our preaching is in vain and your faith is futile so if we don't believe in the resurrection, our faith is futile. And then he says um, he had to deal with the false false apostles. (laughs) He dealt with uh, how to collect money and how to take care of other people in need we see him defending his apostleship. And um, he spent all of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he talks about, you know, I was I was whipped three times. I was lost at sea. I was beaten with rods. I was left for dead. And he says all of this to say, I am an apostle. These other guys who come in and want it comfy and want your money and just, you know, whatever, they're not genuine apostles. They don't care for your soul. They're not going to sacrifice the way I sacrifice. So Paul had to defend who he was and his apostleship. And he had to defend the fact that he had undying love for that congregation, and I said earlier that he would spend everything on them, even his very life, and he says, If I love you more, will you love me less That's an awful thing to have to defend your love to a loved one that really sucks you know that that would be horrid like i i've l- let me like let me list the ways that I've loved you, you know uh, how I provided for you, how I brought you the gospel, how I did it at the expense of myself, and blah 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 that's, that's a painful situation for the apostle. I don't think sometimes when we read it, we realize the impact and, and the passion that he had about this congregation and how it was affecting him as an individual. So each of these problems would have been bad enough in and of themselves, but when they're all present together, it's toxic. Y'all there? So that's a little bit about the Corinthian church. They were a community in the middle of a culture war. It was genuinely a clash of civilizations, to borrow a phrase from Samuel Huntington. It was a community immersed in the gospel through signs, wonders, and power. They lacked no spiritual gift except an understanding of unity and the unconditional love of God. And so when I think about all those problems that I listed, I could kind of wrap them all up in one little phrase, fitting relatedness. They did not have a firm understanding of the relatedness, one, to God, and second, the relatedness to other people in the community. So fitting, relatedness, it's kinship, it's affiliation, it's connection, it's likeness and fitting what's proper, what's appropriate and what's correct. What's proper and correct for those who are in kinship, connection and share likeness. And so this is what Paul was having to address. He was trying to address what is a proper relatedness for you inside this community as believers. Amen? You there? I know I don't shout and get red in the face and sweat, but you can let me know you're there once in a while. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Corinthian church, there was a failure to understand that in Christ, every wall, every partition wall had been broken down. Amen? Every single wall had been broken down in Christ. And due to its extreme diversity, the principle of properly and appropriately relating had not yet sunk into the Corinthian community. However, Paul does something so beautiful. In the middle of um, 1 Corinthians, well, kind of near to the end, he uses two literary devices to really sum up and, and change course and course correct for these people. He gives us uh, Corinthians chapter 12, and he uses a metaphor of the body, and then he gives us Corinthians chapter 13, and he ta- gives us a love poem. And so he uses a metaphor of the body. It says he uses the image of the body of Christ to lay out the way the community should relate together. No part of the Christian body is unimportant. No part of the Christian body is unimportant. Every part is linked to every other part, no matter how um, humble it may seem. And so I just put this picture up, because that's a knee joint, and there's ligaments and stuff around there. But what's beautiful about this picture is you can't tell where one begins and one ends. But if something's out of line, the whole thing is out of line. And so it's the same thing with the body of Christ. When something's out of line, the whole thing is out of line. Uh, Ephesians 4 says from him, the whole body, um, the church in its various parts is joined and knitted firmly together by what every joint supplies. And so we supply one another. When each part is working properly, it causes the body to grow. Peter said that we're living stones being built up into a holy habitation with God. And so ever since creation... Um, lives exist in a network of relationship, whether you like it or not. We're all connected one way or another. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God, the family of humanity. Roots, for example, they're in soil. They require insects for pollination. They require wind for uh, reproduction. Torn from the soil or or shielded from the sun, they die. Shielded from insects, they can't reproduce. So survival and health is dependent on our connectedness. Amen? so there's a little illustration about porcupines out in the cold and freezing and so um, if you've ever seen a porcupine they have those sticky little quills and so in order to keep warm warm, we know in order to keep warm warm, it's good to huddle together but these porcupines if they're going to survive the cold they have to huddle together but it's really really painful and there are times even in the Christian community and even in church we have to huddle together but sometimes I'm really going to Poke at you, and you're really going to not like that, and it's going to hurt. Or you might poke at me, and I'm not really going to like that. But you know what? If we're going to survive, we have to be together, no matter how uncomfortable. Amen? The Reader's Digest tells a story about um, what good is a tree? It says, um, explain that when the roots of the trees touch, there is a substance present that reduces competition. This is brilliant. This is like God all over the place. In fact, this unknown fungus... Uh, helps to link roots of different trees, even dissimilar species. A whole forest may be linked together. And this is the brilliant part. If one tree has access to water, another to nutrients, and the third, sunlight, the trees have the means to share with one another what they're, what they're pulling in. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that. like, I've done some gardening this summer, and I actually don't like gardening, but I didn't have a choice. There was a jungle in my backyard. And, you know, you could pull out one, one uh, tree or stump or whatever, and then it is so true that everything is so intricately connected, and I'm trying to pull out these vines and 400 other vine roots come up. It's like crazy town. But I'd liken this into the body of Christ. What I have, or what you have, we can share with one another, and we can sustain one another, and we can help each other grow. Amen? And the beautiful thing is we're not tied together by a fungus. We're actually tied together by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, that's really, really good. I need some volunteers. Justin, come on up. George, come on up. Daniel, come on up. Jen, come on up. Okay. So, George, just stand here for a sec. Okay. Yeah. So, George, in isolation, when a big wind comes along, it knocks him over. But what I want you to do now is link up so that you can hardly see any gaps in between you because that's what the joints are like. And so now when I push George, there's pushback. He's not off course. There's pushback all the way around. That's the way it should be with the body of Christ. Amen? We are linked up. We have the Bible used that brilliant illustration to show us how connected we are. And it should be seamless and it should be effortless and it should be beautiful. There you go, and then so uh, the next thing Paul employs is this poem about love, and I don't know. This is a tough poem for me sometimes. So it's his ode to love. I don't think it was written just to be celebrated at weddings, um, but it was, and it wasn't written to celebrate their love that was already present in the community. Uh, Paul wrote this as a call to action and an intervention. Paul did not intend First Corinthians chapter. 13, to be easily processed. I don't know about you, but if I've, if you've read chapter 13, it's really hard to swallow. The point is not to make the uh, readers feel comfortable or affirmed in love, which is true, because I don't know about you if I've read that and, you know, the no keep, no keeping records of wrong, I fail miserably, and then I feel ashamed and like I'm not a lover of God, and then the Holy Spirit says it's all good. Sure, you got the love of God spread abroad in your heart. It's all good. You can do this. And so the point was to create cognitive dissonance, and it was to shock them and show them where they were they were not operating in the way that they should operate. Although it was artistically created, and it's a beautiful poem, it is meant to provoke action among the members and secure the survival of that community. And so it wasn't meant for weddings. It wasn't meant for us to just feel good and feel have those loosey-goosey bumps all over. It was actually meant to call people to action and start to live out what God had put on the inside of them. Amen. Amen. So it talks about the boast of men. It talks about what love is, what love is not, uh, what lasts, and everything else. So the boast of men. So he starts it off with, you know, you, you talk with men tongues like men's angels, and you prophesy, and you do this. But if you do it without love, it's nothing. You give to the poor, but if you do it without love, it's nothing. And so we th- we see him addressing their arrogance and their boasting. And then he talks about what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then he says what love is not. It's not envious, it's not boastful, and it's not arrogant. These are all things that he had to address in those problems, you know, with the denial of his apostleship, with um, the elitism and the inequity and the social economic inequity that was happening in the community. These were all addressing those issues. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude or self-seeking. When you come together, you're not just there for yourself, you're there to share with everybody else. Love's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, which is incredibly interesting because Paul had to correct the Corinthian church because they were celebrating the fact that this guy had had incest. Aren't we so cool? And he said, love does not rejoice in doing wrong. And then he talks about what love love always does. It always bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And then he talks about, again, the futility of our thinking. We're so smart and, and arrogant. He says, we are like children who see poorly. We talk like children. We reason like children. And we don't yet fully know. But the imperfect is leaving and the perfect is coming. And then he does this beautiful thing to close off the poem. He says, you know, when he returns, everything else doesn't matter. All that matters is faith Hope and love, and love being the greatest. Agape love is a kind of love that gets up at the crack of dawn, feet on the ground, tools in hand, and ready to serve. Love builds communities. Love nurtures positive social interactions. It unifies. Love is manifest in the way we talk and in the way we walk and the way we eat with one another. Love is manifest in the fellowship we have together. It affirms all things. Love transcends our self imposed caste systems and personal biases. Love honors those who brought you the gospel. Love honors those who share their lives with you. Love honors leaders. Love forms whole and holistic people who are anchored in the well being of others. anchored. Think about that. I'm anchored in the well-being of others. When you think about all those guys hooking arms, I'm anchored. If you're not good, I'm not good. If one member suffer, we suffer. If one member's rejoice, we all rejoice. We are anchored in the well-being of one another. Amen? Do you believe that? We need to live like that. Amen? Getting mean. (laughs) Love will not let us down if we genuinely live in it together. In sum, Christianity asks its followers to be kind and considerate towards one another. It asks us to be sensitive and even come alongside those who are less fortunate than us. These actions are fairly simple in theory, but really hard to work out in practice. And this is where you and I can shine. Amen? Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, Now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular and we're one body but there's lots of diversity that happens within the body of Christ. You can have unity and diversity all at the same time. That should be celebrated and that's what makes us so great. Amen. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we should all rejoice. There's nothing worse in Christians who can't celebrate with people when the life is going well. Isn't that terrible? When I hear something good is happening in someone's life, I just want to say, woo-hoo, that is so great. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. I'm so happy for you. But when we can't celebrate someone else's good, good, um, good fortune, there's something wrong with your head. Amen? And then you should just say, me next. Amen? So there should be no, Paul says this, there should be no schism in the body. And all members should have the same care one for another. And for me, we ought not to define ourselves by the differences we see in others. And I ought not to be afraid of the differences I see in others. When I come together, I look around and this is a very, very diverse and different community. Amen? Amen. The church is not a place for ageism, racism, sexism, or tribalism. The church is no place for prejudice, xenophobia, homophobia, preferential preferential treatment, or entitlement. The church is no place for elitism, Politicism or exclusionism. In fact, as a believer, there's no place for any of that in my life. Amen? I ought not to be afraid of what other people look like. Amen? And that's all there is to it. My only debt, my only responsibility to people who are different than me is the unconditional love of God, and that's it. Amen? And that's all there is to it. In this congregation, we are former Catholics, Hindus, agnostics, atheists, and former sinners. We are Boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, Millennials. We are Africans, South Americans, Asians, Europeans, Canadians, First Nations, and Indian. We are the body of Christ. We are diverse, yet unified in the love of God. We are the light of the world. And so when I think about unity, and I think about love, and I think about a body that is knit together and joined together, for me, it actually goes beyond just the borders or in the, uh, the walls of this church. For me, that kind of expression has to go to the greater world at large. Amen? Um, Paul said, and I read this earlier in offering teaching, that God made from one man. So we all come from one man. If we were to really look biologically at the differences between men, women, white, black, yellow, whatever, there'd be like less than probably 1% difference. And yet we, we have celebrated and we have become so tribal that we have no regard for mankind. We have no regard for our fellow brother. And Paul said, I've made them one, from one man every nation to dwell on the face of the earth. And Paul did this, and he inspired an affirmation for the unity of mankind. Paul was contradicting the philosophy of his culture with that statement. And in a world that entertains ethnic exclusivity, it's really just all out wrong the apostles' uh, presentation of this undermines um, exclusive ideology and ethnic distinctions, and all of those are obliterated in Jesus Christ. Amen? You and I, right here at Impact Church in this little spot in London, Ontario, we can model something beyond tribalism. Amen? We can model something that, uh, that is beyond tribalism, which is poisoning our culture and dividing families, dividing communities, dividing countries, dividing nations. Every human being we come in contact with should be seen, valued, and heard. And Brene Brown talks about connectedness, and we all need connectedness as a part of a base human need to be connected. And Brene Brown uh, defines connectedness this way. She says, it's the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, when they can derive sustenance and strength from relationship we need to be different. We need to model something different. You and I as a body of Christ can be the light in the world that's so poisoned by tribalism and and exclusion. And so when Paul said, or Jesus said, they'll know you are Christians by the love you have one for another. And that's how we shine. We love unconditionally. We love like God loves. We stay connected like God, you know, like God intended us to be connected. Amen? I look at this congregation and we have rich people, we have people with not so great a means, we have Africans, we have South Americans, we have, um, we have everything, short, tall, skinny, not so skinny, blonde, blue eyes, brown hair, curly hair, some who can sing who can't sing, <laughs> some who can dance and some who can't dance. We are in Impact Church. We are a diverse community. We have people who are on the way to Jesus and, and on the beginning of the journey, and people who have been on the journey for a long time. We have people who are still bringing in their struggles from the world, um, and we have people who are really moving along tickety-boo. But we have to be able to give grace to those on the beginning of their journey, and we have to be able to see one another as Christ sees us. Paul said, I have decided to see no man except through the eyes of Christ, amen? So let's stand. Let's be the change, amen? Amen. Why not? Like the the Christian community is meant to impact the culture and impact the world. So you and I can be the change. We can be the light in this world. Let's model unconditional love and let's witness to the grace of God. Let's be excellent at connecting people to God and to this beautiful community, Amen? amen? All right.